Hello, my friends. Eric Feltis here, life coach, speaker, actor, and host of The Great Unbecoming. This is a show about stories of unlearning. What did you let go of in order to become the person you are today? And what did you gain and learn as well? This is a show about letting go of stories that no longer serve us and stepping into our own authenticity. It's about unbecoming what society says you should be and remembering who you are and who you are meant to be. So sit back, relax, and welcome to The Great Unbecoming. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Great Unbecoming. I am your host, Eric Feltis, and I'm so, so, so excited that um, not only to be speaking to my guest today, but that he uh, agreed to be on this podcast. Um, Before I let him speak, because you know how much I love to talk, y'all, let me tell you a little bit about my guest. So this is Christian Kuhn. Christian Kuhn is a co-founder of Urban Village Church, a multi-site United Methodist Church in Chicago. He's written or contributed to several books, including Failing Boldly. Christian is a native Iowan, but has lived in the Chicago area for more than 30 years. He and his wife, two children, and dog live in the South Loop neighborhood of Chicago. And you can usually find him out for a run, listening to a baseball game, doing a crossword puzzle, eating ice cream, or spending time with his family, or talking about how much he loves Eric Feltis. Oh, Christian, you didn't have to add that to your bio. That was so sweet. Just kidding. That was me. Um, He has a BA from Simpson College and MSJ from the Metal School of Journalism at Northwestern University, and oh my gosh, pause, pause, pause. What does MSJ stand for? Master of Science in Journalism. Medill. Medill. Thank you. I was going to ask if I said that right. Ooh. Oh, fail on my part. Medill. This is why we don't <laughs> cut anything because we're messy and we're human. Medill. And also, it shows that I didn't do my research. And um, a Master of Divinity, right? MDIV. That's it. Yay! From Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Uh, and on a personal note, Christian Kuhn is one of the people who has impacted my life, uh, more than, more than really anyone. And we'll get into that later, but I'm so glad you're here, Christian. Thank you for being here. Eric, it is genuinely my pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I want to, before we talk about how you and I met, um, and why you're so special to me, I want to hear a little more about your your relationship with God, your your journey into ministry. What what is that experience? I mean, we heard a little bit about in your bio, but what called you to ministry originally, Christian? And can I call you Christian on the podcast? You can absolutely. Um, I would say I I pretty much sometimes I wish I had one of those stories where uh, I, the the what we say in the church the burning bush experience where I had this, like zero church experience or had an awful childhood and then this amazing thing happened and turned my life around, but I had a really pretty great uh, family growing up and um, was fairly active in church uh, growing up as well. I I do remember me being, I I guess, slightly nerdy, nerdier than other kids about wanting to spend some time at church. And I remember when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I actually, we had a youth Sunday. This is at a small town in Northeast Iowa. And I, um, I preached just like a 10 minute sermon and retired, retired German United Methodist pastor came up to me after worship and said, I won't try to do his accent, but he, he said, you should think about the ministry. Pause, I, pause, I remember- pause. I, I need you to try to do the accent. I've already made myself <laughs> look like a fool by saying your school wrong. So can you just say that one sentence with the accent? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I took a German class, so I'm really going to embarrass myself here. Okay, good. You, 
uh, you should think about the ministry. That's like a terrible so uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Some, but not offensive, kind of so we're okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, continue. Okay. We're good. Okay. Um, should think about ministry. Yeah, and I, at, the, if, at me, like 12, 13 years old, I just thought, ugh, there's, that sounds awful. And um, But I remained pretty active in the church. And so when I was in college, I had a sense that, um, my faith would do something with my vocation, but I was really interested in communication and journalism. So I was a communication major in college and religion minor. And then near the end of my college years, there was a seminary actually in Dayton, Ohio, that had a master of arts in religious communication. And that was the first time that I ever thought, oh, I can bring these two things together. And that kind of began the journey of me exploring those possibilities. I ended up not going to that seminary, got a couple of different jobs in nonprofit uh, PR communications, worked for my alma mater. And then actually I was in a fraternity in college and their national office is in Evanston, Illinois. And so I came out to work, got a job working for them as their director of communication. Uh, so that was in 1992, came out to Evanston, got involved with a church in town and ended up, that's the church where I met my wife. And um, then also found out about a, a program in the mid nineties um, with the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, which is a really a pretty a great journalism school and Garrett Evangelical Seminary, again, for people interested in religious journalism. And I thought, perfect, this is exactly what I want to do. I'll, and you get master's from both programs. But near the end of that, so that's like a three to four year program. And near the end of that program, I started to feel like, you know, I think I may want to do more than write about the life of faith, but just be more intimately involved in people's lives. Hmm. So... Long story short, it started the ordination process in the United Methodist Church. It's where the church I grew up in and then uh, went to a church in the near western suburbs of Chicago called Riverside. And so that was my first church started in late 97 and kind of started feeling like, you know, I think I actually may like this more than I thought I did, which when I got married, my, I got married in 1994. Me going into the ministry is not part of the deal when we got married. And so my wife was she wasn't totally opposed to the idea, but she was pretty leery of the idea because I think she had in her mind all kinds of stereotypes, which sometimes are true of what is expected of a pastor's spouse and so on. Um, but served um, there at that church for about three and a half years, then went to another suburban church for about seven years. And I don't know if you want me to get into Urban Village yet or... Oh, sure. Because I think it's okay. an interesting transition from going from being a... a journalist to a pastor to a church planter, which is an incredibly different beast in and of itself. Yeah. I would love to hear what called you to do that. Yeah. I, so in the mid 2000s, um, our, so the United Methodist Church is divided into different geographic areas. So if you have any Catholics who listen, it's similar to like a diocese, uh, or if you have any Lutherans who listen, it's similar to a synod. Ours is called a conference. Mm -hmm. And in the mid 2000s, our, so this is Northern Illinois, and they were talking about starting churches. And so they offered this two-year training for people who may have an interest. And at the time, I thought, uh, I, in my mind, church planter was somebody like, like you, Eric, somebody very extroverted, uh, somebody who's really is out there, very charismatic. And I thought, I'm a little bit more introverted, but this training could be helpful for me as a pastor of an established church. So I went through that training. Hmm. Um, at the same time, a good friend of mine in the ministry, uh, a guy named Trey Hall, was also going through that same program. I was wondering when he was going to come in. Yeah. Yeah. 
has some of those Trey maxed out on his Facebook friends many years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, very charismatic, um, very extroverted. And um, so we started talking about, you know, how, what are we going to do with this training? Trey was pastoring a church in the uh, Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago. And so we were on the same page in many ways. And we thought, you know, there is, there's a need for a church. So, I'm going to paint in broad brush strokes here. Sure. There were churches in the city that were very inclusive and affirming, particularly of LGBTQ folks, but it was almost like they were nervous talking about Jesus. And then there were churches that knew the difference that the gospel and a faith in Christ could bring about, but they were not fully welcoming. Or yet, mm. if you, you could read the small print, like they might seem like they're fully welcoming, it's but like once you got in there... Yeah. And um, so we said there should be a church that like brings both of those together. Like and Jesus. that would be <laughs> exactly. Uh, and without, we didn't necessarily think we could have like one big mega church, but instead have smaller communities throughout mm. the city. Smart. So you so, know off the bat. So then we started talking about no, smaller communities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think on my own, I don't know if I would have ever, ever done it on my own. But I thought I can do it with Trey, and because we related, we're good friends, and just we're on the same page in many different ways. And I think our personalities complemented each other pretty well too. So, so that's when we thought, well, could we do this together, and then really be aggressive about starting new locations very quickly, which is a little unusual. Um, but that's what we did, and so we finally got some money and some the permission from our area, our conference. And then summer of 2009, I, my family, I was living in a, there's a suburb of Chicago, Highland Park, um, on the lake, very affluent. It's, it's where you move from the city to go to. You don't usually move from that suburb into the city. Mm -hmm. But my wife, uh, we had two small children and she was game. So we moved into the city that summer and Trey and his husband uh, moved into the loop of Chicago. And yeah, we, we started from there and then had our first worship service in March of 2010. How scary and how yeah. exciting um, because, you know, there's money in the church. I'm sure that's why you went into church planting for the money, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. Very <laughs> and lucrative. To a city, right. Um, so yeah. one thing that I remember about services is, and I remember when I first joined, I started going to Urban Village, I thought that this was so cheesy, but then I, but I can say that because then I learned to love it so much the repetition of your three core values. And I want to see mm -hmm. if I can remember them. It's been a long time. Urban Village Church is bold, inclusive, and relevant. Boldly got it. rooted, Boldly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Relevant, meaning it's not, it's not uh, confound to the brick and mortar of this church building. It's relevant in today's society out, out of the church. Uh, and inclusive, all are welcome. And exactly. I remember at first, again, I was like, why do they keep saying this? But looking back, I'm like, it's an affirmation. It's, 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 it's the repetition of these word, thought, words become thoughts or thoughts become words, becomes beliefs, become actions, become a lifestyle. And to hear that over and over and over reminded me this very wounded inner child gay boy. I was, I think, 27 when you and I met. So 10 years ago now, um, it was something that I needed to hear every week. Me in my mm. early stages of, of, of kind of being a kid in the candy store, just moving to Chicago, right next to Boys Down, making stupid, sloppy mistakes, 
often, still kind of am. Um, who knows what I was doing Saturday night? I was welcome in this church, and I was reminded that I was good because of who I am and not in spite of who I am. I didn't have to check myself at the door. And I was reminded of that by people like you and Trey and other people on a day, on a weekly basis. So it went from something I thought was so silly to something that really was healing in my journey. So I thank you for that. And I thank you and Trey for being so specific with your target and intentional with your target mm. when you came up with those core values. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because actually there's a part of me that I would imagine people, if they, you know, in the business world or marketing or whatever, like you just keep repeating it so that they just know it. But I also appreciate you saying, because to be honest, I'd never thought about that before. There's some people that they need to hear it spiritually and emotionally, that, that repetition helps them in case they ever doubt who they are, or who's welcome or whatever. Because now after, you know, doing this for so many years, uh, I, I get still a, a Really, I'm so pleased that people still know those values and know our mission mm. uh, because it's true, not just for the church, but it's true for individuals too, so that they remember that. Yeah. Um, and I would assume, and you can speak more on this than I can, but I, I assume it also holds you accountable. I'm assuming mm. by saying them over and over, you are reminded yourself of why you're doing what you're doing and to have that mission and that target in front of you yeah. as well. Yeah, no, that's um, a really good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So I just remember I'm getting, I get emotional a lot anyway on this podcast because I talked to a lot of people I love, but like, I don't, I don't know if I, oh my gosh, I don't know if I would identify as Christian if it weren't, if it weren't for you. Mm. I really don't. I walked away from the church having been so hurt and so isolated and so burned thinking I'm done. And honestly, to listeners, if you walk away, I bless your journey. I am not here to tell you to go to church. I'm not here to tell you to walk away from church. I want to help you to love yourself as you are in whatever journey that is for you. That being said, I walked away and I was invited to come to Urban Village. I went and I felt seen in a way mm. my wholehearted self was welcome and I think one reason I get emotional, Christians, because with the men I work with, some of them have never experienced that level of wholeheartedness that, that mm -hmm. you and Trey and the church community were able to provide for me and so many other people. So I'm, from yeah. the bottom of my heart, so grateful for you. Well, thanks, Eric. Now I'm going to get choked up, but I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, and um, it, we didn't touch on this, or I didn't touch on this much too, but... I think one of the blessings that we had for Trey and I to do it together was for a straight, a straight man and a gay man yeah. uh, to, to both be in ministry together. I remember when we, and please stop me if this doesn't necessarily relate to you, but when we planted our third site on the north side of Chicago in a neighborhood called Andersonville, mm -hmm. um, somebody came up to me and, and there were times I'm, where I, I never felt uh, unwelcome or uncomfortable, but I also wondered, particularly in, for the LGBTQ community, I said, can they relate to me at all? Because I don't, I'm not on their journey. I don't necessarily have, I mean, I have some similar stories, but also diff very different stories too. And one person came up to me, he said, there are so many, particularly gay men who have never had a straight man affirm them before. 
and he's talking about their, you know, especially their fathers and so on. And that, on the one hand, I felt a little old when he said that, but uh, I also, it was really eye-opening for me that, again, that's just not, it's, I've learned so much uh, in doing this ministry. And it's also helped me to realize I, I am not going to be able to answer all the questions and, and help them and all the things they're, they're wrestling with or reflecting on. There are some moments of, in the early days when Trey was much better at that than I was. But hmm. for me being who I was and what I might represent and to be still that affirming and welcoming presence also was important. Hmm. That I echo that tenfold. I think, yes, we all want to be seen. And for me to see queer people um, in a church setting in leadership positions was very healing. It's a both and that was very healing for me. But, and I think you understand this because you've been doing this a while, but for anyone else listening, if you are a straight cisgender, particularly white man, uh, you are the face of privilege, for, which is not mm. a good or bad thing. It just is, a, it's a, the truth in the society in which we live. But also you are the face of so many people's trauma. Does mm. that mean that you are personally responsible, listener or Christian, for, for, uh, for, or need to answer for the person that threw food at me in the, in the lunchroom or the person that called me a faggot walking down the hall? No, of course not. But, I asso but our inner children associate that trauma with you, whether or not we know it or not. And so with privilege comes responsibility. And so to be able to rewrite that narrative and, and, and show us that, that we, queer people, are worthy of love and belonging in your space, I think is more healing than most straight men realize. I also mm. think that mm, there are more affirming straight men than I think we realize. I just think they don't speak up because I don't think maybe they don't feel safe. Maybe don't, they mm. don't think it's their place. Maybe don't, mm. they don't think it matters. It matters. Because I'll say it again, with privilege comes responsibility, and you can rewrite some very dangerous um, and harmful trauma by, by, by just saying that, that you see us and that we matter. So I echo that 100%. Yeah, and also, and hopefully just with experience too, having the wisdom to know there may be some people, as you noted, I think that's very true for, for me with checking all of the privilege boxes. Uh, some people just may never be able to get over that hurdle because of what I and who I represent. Mm. And over the years too, just being able to learn because there's some people who, who it's hard for them to accept that. And they may just work going overdrive about trying to get them to like them or approve of them or affirm mm. them, whatever. Mm. And I've just mm. learned like, I, you know, I, I, I will always be present and will always, you know, welcome them with open arms, but there may be some people for whom they just, they can't connect with me. Um, yeah. There have been so many, and I've had to learn over the years too, there are many avenues into our community and they're not, by no means are they going to be through me. There have been so many different people, particularly, so not just for, for LGBTQ folks, but also for people who've never seen women in leadership. And mm. so for them being in uh, communities or traditions where women have not been in leadership, they've been so uh, moved and transformed by seeing that we've had women as pastors too. And so for them, their entry point has been with one, you know, one of the many women pastors we've had over the years, again, not through me. Uh, and right. so I'm at a place now where I kind of rejoice that they find this place without me having to be part of it. <laughs> mm, well, 
you are the personification. You are a beautiful example of someone who holds space for both pastoral leadership and I don't know what the word, the noun is for, well, being a preacher. You are a good preacher and a good pastor. I think so many people are really good pastors and they bring people in like you do and they put their ego aside. I mean, you didn't say these words, but I think when someone rejects you because of their inner child trauma, you realize it has nothing to do with you. You don't take that personally. You also share your space with other people. I remember I was able, with Sarah Marie Young, able to sing in the worship band, nowhere near her talent and credit to her for letting me do that as well. But you share your space, but you're also a very good speaker. I think that's a gift. I don't think, I think it's hard mm. to find someone that can do both as well as you can. Well, thanks. I, ho I appreciate I hope that. You, and I hope um... you know that. <laughs> Recognize I think most pastors, oh, thank you. Most pastors, you know, well, all pastors, they do their best. And there are days too when, in fact, just today, I got an email from a parishioner. There are some pa parishioners who they just need a little extra uh, attention and love. And after a while, they keep asking for that attention and love. And it's once, you know, we're only human. And so our patience wears a little thin. And so we have to kind of like, okay, how can I, how can I be there for this person without them being totally dependent on me or on with others, which can be tricky too. That is a whole other can of worms. We could have an entire podcast <laughs> on the yeah. importance of setting boundaries yeah. in order for you to do your job and love yourself and others. Well, boundaries are necessary. Um, I, I, I want to give more credit. I want to shine a light more so on the significance of Urban Village Church. I don't think if people haven't heard of this, really understand uh, w the work that you and Trey and others have done. Um, in a video recently you posted, I think it's 7,000 people. Is that right so far? Well, who have, yeah, have had some connection. Some with, sort of yeah. connection. Yeah. And we're talking how many years? How many? When, when was your first service or the year of March the first of 2010? Church? Okay, so from 2010 to 2023, 7,000 people have been in communication. How many churches have been planted? Uh, well, speaking of, I've you know written about failure. So we've planted five. Uh, one uh, was a victim of the pandemic, unfortunately. So we closed one. So we've have four, we have four now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, I was going to so, say too, and in, in not just that, but then one thing I'm really proud of are folks who have spent some time at, at Urban Village as an intern or, or student pastor, and they've gone on to plant churches uh, or, and or attempted to plant churches in uh, plenty in the Midwest, in Milwaukee, in the Twin Cities. And we've had a couple of plant in Texas and Trey has done, moved from Chicago. His husband is British. And so he's been in England for the last few years. And so Trey's started community uh, in England too. So it's, we have the answer is five for us, but then others too who have gone from Urban Village to do their own thing. P again, this is what people don't realize. Like people are sent to you. Like people, people in United Methodist Church know what Urban Village is doing, and they ask questions like, "What would, what would Urban Village do?" Because, and, and it, please, I'd love to, for you to shine some light on this. Like, because what you've done is not the norm to not only plant those four to five churches, but to do so at the rate that you did, at the success you did. Right? I mean, that's that's not very heard of in in United Methodist Church, or is it? No, it's. I, I think what makes us unique is certainly that we did it. People have asked us sometimes in the church planting world, there are you know metrics like once you hit X amount of people in worship, then you plant another church. But we just 
<laughs> for better, for worse, you know, we, we started our, in the South Loop neighborhood of Chicago. And then about four months later, I said, okay, we're, now what's next? And so we planted our second site in the Wicker Park neighborhood six months after our first one. And then a year after that, we planted on the north side. And then a year and a half to, after that, we planted in, in the, on the south side in the High Park Woodlawn neighborhoods. So that's unusual. I think for progressive churches, it's it's unusual to, to be multi-site like we are. And in the city, too, uh, which can be tougher because it's so transient. Uh, mm-hmm. And people are are moving and and coming and going so quickly. So I think all of those things make us pretty unique. And to be honest, we're not. I mean, the seven thousand sounds impressive, but compared to other multi site churches, we're pretty small. And so the fact that we've kind of um, been able to hold it together over the years is is pretty remarkable. I guess I you know that it has to be a God thing that we've been able to. Uh, we, one of our former pastors, Emily McGinley, often would say, "We keep not dying." Uh, mm. and so, um, I think there's a reason that we've kind of hung in there. There's still so many people who kind of need to know God through the lens of what we can try to provide. Yes. And it is a God thing. It's also a, a Emily Christian Trey and everyone, everyone else has been involved <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, so again, 10 years, however, it's easy to think 10 years, five churches, 10 years. No, it was five churches in a, a year. Like what an exhausting or one or two, right? More or less. It was, or was like four, four churches in four years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's, that's exhausting. Have you taken a nap? <laughs> I think the other, the other I started, thing I love about after the show, that, after those four years, I started going to therapy. That was, that was the, <laughs> the Oh my God. You didn't do that before. Oh no, um, yeah. Yeah. I always said like, I couldn't, you said like, Oh, I could do this. I couldn't do this. I don't love people the way you do. I'm not nearly as patient <laughs> as you are. Um, one thing, one, uh, I like that it's four to five small churches because it's easy to be a number in a large space. Nothing wrong with big churches in and of itself, but it's easy to be a number. And also each church brings, would you say that each church has a different culture, right? I feel like there's a little different leadership, different Absolutely. culture in each church. Yeah, yeah. Every, I think there's some things that stay, the core values of the mission are the same for all of the sites. The general worship uh, arc uh, and what we, so for example, we have communion at every site every week. We have testimony. I give folks, not just the pastors, but uh, lay people a chance to speak every week at all the sites. Mm-hmm. So that stays the same, but the flavor and who makes up that community is pretty different. And the vibe, just the vibe is different. And I think, I think most people, uh, they know that and they would attest to that. Yeah. I, I think they all reflect the neighborhoods in Chicago because yeah. each neighborhood has such a diverse history and um, rich history and culture as well. So this is where we're at now. I was I was a part of the South Loop location for the three years I was in Chicago. You got me connected with Pastor Mark uh, here at Tolu- Harmony Toluca Lake, which is the United Methodist Affirming Church that I go to in LA. Um, you've impacted so many people over the years that have been a part of your leadership group and also been inspired to start new churches. So it's been 10 years and what is on the horizon for Christian Kuhn? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is all we, we joked before we started recording how good the timing this is. I just announced on Sunday that this is going to be my last year uh, at Urban Village. So in the United Methodist Church, we um, uh, serve at, I'll try not to get into too much kind of church lingo here, but we essentially serve on a year to year basis from July 1 to June 30th. Often a church, a pastor will serve 
numerous years. So I've been, you know, doing this for since 2009, so 14 years. Um, uh, but really since, I would say since 2018, every year I've been asking myself as a time to step aside. Uh, and for various reasons, I said, no, I'm, I'm still feel called to stay. And, um, and I really thought my son and my second, my, I have two kids and my youngest just graduated from high school uh, last June. And I thought this summer would be a good summer to step aside. But we've had a lot of staff transitions in the last 15 months. And I thought, no, I need to stay one more year. But uh, I've also noticed, especially in recent months, I just don't have the energy and creativity that I once did. And um, 14 years is a long time. And so it's, uh, I'm just feeling for, for both personally and for the church, it's, it's time to step aside. So, but I'm also stepping into the unknown. Um, one other thing about, unique thing about the Methodist church is uh, once you're or, ordained, what's called ordained, you're essentially kind of, it's almost like getting tenure. Uh, you, you're guaranteed a church no matter what. I mean, you have to really mess up. Um, um, which sometimes makes for, you know, mediocre pastors, to be honest. Uh, but <laughs> it also is a nice safety net. Um, but I've decided I'm not going to take another appointment next year uh, when I'm done at Urban Village. Um, I've been in the ministry for 20, coming up on 26 years and feel like it's time for me to do something else. So I've been having conversations with folks in different fields in the nonprofit and higher education. And I'd be open to working for the general, like a more, um, uh, bird's eye view of the church too. Um, but I have no idea. I have nothing lined up. So, uh, it's a bit, I've not worked on a resume in 26 years. So it's been unknown. I'm, yeah. It's yeah, it's unknown and, um, scary and exciting. And, um, um, I'm really, I, I guess I, I trust and have faith that something will open up that will fit my uh, gifts and graces and will, um, I don't know if this, I think probably fits a little bit into kind of the theme of your podcast too, but I've been doing a lot of reading from an author named Parker Palmer uh, lately, who, who has echoed other people who have talked about what's called the true self and, and the, the, the one who really makes sense for who you are, not your necessarily what your ego wants you to be. Mm. Um, but who you were really created to be. And sometimes that's really hard to, sometimes it doesn't happen until another phrase, people talk about the second half of life. Like that first half of life is often about what's success like, what does um, notoriety look like? How am I accepted and lifted up by, by others? Yeah. And then hopefully some wisdom helps one figure out actually the things that I worked so hard to be accepted by aren't really who I am. Yeah. And so, um, I think what I've done is is part of who I am, but I also am looking forward to really finding that thing that really fully encapsulates, at least for this next step in my journey, who who God created me to be. Hmm. Yeah, so exciting. We'll have you on again. Maybe I'll do a theme on the unknown. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Christian, before I let you go, I, I we you and I are very accustomed to this idea that all all LGBT plus people are made in the image and likeness of God. But I also understand that that is not a message. Not everyone has had a church like Urban Village to teach them that over the years. So there's one person listening to this, and that's a very foreign concept to them. And they're mm -hmm. having a really hard time reconciling. I don't like the word reconcile. Finding harmony between um, between their their relationship with a higher power 
uh, and their authenticity as a queer person, but they're but they're intrigued. Can you speak to that one person? Mm. What would you have to say to that person? Yeah, this really sounds super self-serving, but I promise I'll get to the point. So I wrote, you mentioned I wrote a book a few years ago about failure and the first chapter. So the very first thing that I talk about is that I believe that we are all unbelievably radically beloved children of God. And and that is the, the message I always try to get across to people first and foremost, before you do anything else, before you try to be anyone, before you try to live into what you think the expectations are. I use the metaphor of the, in Chicago of, of the train system and like, what's your home station? Like, where's the place that you always go home to? And so no matter what anyone has said about who you are or who you love, or maybe that you're, you're broken or not right or whatever, first and foremost to do all I can to try to help anyone believe that they are beloved children of God, uniquely and lovingly created by that God and accepting that. I know this is some of the really good work that you're doing, Eric, accepting that is can be really one of the hardest things that a person can do, especially if they grew up in a home where they were told the exact opposite. We have reached so many people who have experienced trauma, either from family or from church. And so it can take a long time to get to that place where they first and foremost know and believed I am truly beloved uh, by God. And so I hope that anybody who, who doubts that, that they can find, uh, um, it, you know, Eric, I know you will always try to convince them of that, but that they can also find community, a community around them that can uh, help them to go on that journey to accept that too. And I think once a person, as best they can, accept that, then they can begin to really explore, okay, I'm beloved now, how else have I been created and what else can I contribute? And because I also believe that out of that belovedness, we all have particular gifts that can be used to really make for, uh, even in the midst of a really shitty world at times, can also um, bring beauty. And so I, I think everybody has that uh, to offer. As they are. Mm -hmm. And to be more self-serving, uh, buy his book because also I'm in it. <laughs> you can read a little story that i wrote um you're such a gift christian kuhn i'm so grateful you're in my life and you've been a part of my journey and so thank you so much for being here i really appreciate you eric and grateful for uh, what you're doing uh, to so many who need to know the messages that you are conveying to them as well so i'm grateful for that Absolutely. Um, it's been a pleasure, y'all. I will put everything in the show notes, including the title of Christian's book. Um, you can buy it on Amazon, I'm assuming. Anywhere else? Yep. Amazon? All the places. All the places you buy books, you can buy that book, just like you can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if what Christian is talking about, and you are a gay, bi, or trans uh, person who identifies as male, and you want information on my 10-week program that's designed to help you free yourself from that same church shame that I was talking about and get you to a place where you fully love yourself, don't just tolerate who you are, but love yourself and recognize that you are also made in the image and likeness of God, you can reach out to me, you can email me, you can DM me on Instagram, and I will put that information in the show notes as well. And until next time, we will see you soon. Goodbye, friends. All right, my friends, that's all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Great Unbecoming. And if you did, please share this on your social media and tag me, Eric Feltus. That's Eric Feltus on Instagram and Facebook and Eric.Feltus on TikTok. 
And to make sure you don't miss another episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts and go ahead and give us a five-star review. Your ratings and reviews are really the fuel that keep us going, and we're so grateful for your support. And of course, check out this episode and all episodes on our YouTube channel at Life Coaching by Feltus. And finally, don't forget to go to www.lifecoachingbyfeltus.com and sign up for our email list and stay up to date on everything that's coming up and going on in our shame-free community. I will see you next time. And until then, know that in this space, you are always seen, supported, and celebrated. Bye for now.